What's going on, everyone? I'm Paul Monica from the Little High Podcast, and in today's episode, I finished breaking down the top three teams in college across with my good friend Jake from Lax Weekly. Uh, last week in episode 21, me and Jake broke down the number five and number four teams in UVA and Penn State, and I want to put out these last three parts with a big weekend of college across coming up. Jake and I broke down number three, Maryland, number two, Syracuse, and number one, Duke. We talked about how each team did in 2020 and what players each team's return or who they bring in. And there was a bunch of hot takes between me and Jake on how we think each team is going to do in the 2021 season. A quick disclaimer uh, is that when Jake and I first recorded this, there were a couple things that happened that slightly changed. A few outlooks we had, and the big one was that Stephen Rafis of Syracuse will be returning for the Orange. When we, rec- when we recorded, uh, he was still in the transfer portal, but now he's officially staying with Syracuse, so that's great news for them. Uh, and make sure to go check out Jake's YouTube channel called Lax Weekly. I'll put that in the description and go check it out with his social media along with a little high podcast social media. Hope you guys enjoy the show. Hope you guys enjoy Kyle's Across this weekend, and let's get right into it. All right, Jake, we're taking a look at number three, the Maryland Terrapins. Uh, Jake, I was a pretty big Maryland Terrapin fan, so I know you uh, you weren't a very big Maryland Terrapins fan. They uh, they kind of crushed a couple of your uh, 2010 seasons with uh, with some of the teams you liked. Absolutely, yeah. Maryland, I mean, I respect them. They're a good team, but they seem to crush my dreams always. So I'm not – I'm not Maryland is not my favorite by any means, but I do respect how good they are. You got to admit, they're good. I'd say up with Duke, Maryland just ruled the 2010s. Even though they only got one national championship, they were at oh, like 50% of the final fours from 2010 to 2020. They were 2000, I want to say 2011 when they lost to UVA in the finals. Mm-hmm. Uh, 2015, 2016, 2017, 2018. That's fine. Yeah, 2018. And then they they should have they should have beat uh, they should have beat UVA. That was just even. No, I mean, it was a. Uh... If you if you zoom in closely, you can see the ball going to the goal. It wasn't. Do you think it was a goal? No, I mean it definitely was not a goal. It's, but I think UVA they had all that momentum. I mean I'm a I'm very biased. It should have. Yeah, there's no excuse. I mean, if you are, really want to like play in Maryland's card as much as you want, they did give up a five goal lead with five minutes left in the fourth quarter. You can't really you can't really say anything about that. Like. It's like that's I mean, yeah, they shouldn't have put themselves in that position for sure. But Ryan Conrad said, hello, everyone. How are you doing? Yeah, and then Michael Kraft decided to just show everyone why he's the best Dodger in the country. But besides that, let's go I take like a look. Yep. <laughs> besides that, let's go take a look at what Maryland did in 2020. So they finished 5-1, and one, uh, finished number seven in the final rankings. They actually took down two, uh, two top ten teams. I believe it was – Notre Dame in Penn and Notre Dame in Penn and I know Notre Dame they beat them pretty well they beat them by like five or six but Penn but Penn they uh they beat them in like double overtime and you know I don't think their record shows about how they really played five and five and one does look really good on a record but mm-hmm. if you really take a look at those games you kind of see that they won those ga- like a majority of those games by like one goal I'm yeah. trying to think Villanova they lost by one Richmond, they beat them in double overtime. Penn, they beat them by one. Um, it was sloppy. Forget, yeah, it was very sloppy for Maryland. And it was more on the defensive side. They had a very young defense. They had a very young defense. They had a young goalie. And they were kind of just figuring things out. But you want to take a look at – Jake, you want to start off and see who is returning for the Terps in 2021? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we got a huge returner in Jared Bernhardt. Uh, I'm just going to do my hot take already, get it out of the way. I think he is an amazing player. But I think he's got to be one of the most overrated college lacrosse players out there. I just think uh, he, you know, like they, I feel like the lacrosse world shows him to be the greatest player or whatever. But he's, I think he's really good. I'm glad that he's returning. It's good to see him back. But I just had to get my hot take out of the way. So we got Jared Bernhardt. We got one who got a lot of recognition, which I really appreciate, is Logan Wisnaskis. I think one of the most deadly lefty shooters in the country. Um, Bubba, he's returning. Anthony DeMeo. I know Danny Maltz had a really strong start last year. Um, Kyle Long, he's always really good. So we got some really, really good offensive players coming back. Who else do you like coming back? 
Um, I like that Maryland is also returning uh, both their face-off guys, Justin Shockey and Connor Calderon. They were about 50%, 57% from the X, so hopefully they can improve on that. 100%. And I also like, yeah, and I also like how Maryland is also returning all of their defenders with Brett Maycar, Nick Grill, Matt Rahill, Matt Rahill, Alex Smith. And then they have, uh, they have a pretty interesting goalie situation. So Maryland's always like a team. It's built, especially the goalie position, it's kind of built on respect on if you're a senior, you get the starting spot, no matter how good the underclassman is, it's kind of just mm-hmm. to you. It's just, a, it's just a tradition that happens at Maryland. It was a little different this year. So I originally thought they were going to give it to who was the uh, presumed oldest player on the team, which was a presumed oldest goalie on the team, which was uh, Drew, uh, Drew Morris, Drew Uh Morris, who was like the number one ranked goalie in his class a couple of years ago. But then Matt Brandau's brother, Chris Brandau transferred him from Georgetown, who was, you know, lighting up for them. And then they also brought in the number one goalie in their class in the, uh, in that incoming freshman class with uh, Logan McNaney. So they were kind of just split in time with uh, McNaney and Brandau. You didn't really see the uh, the oldest guy, Drew Moore, Drew Morris, getting mm-hmm. his time, and that's kind of interesting to see how they've kind of switched from that dynamic. And I'm going to be interested to see what they really do with who's going to be the starting goalie. I personally think it's going to go to McNaney. I think they're going to start. I think they're going to start the season with Brandau, McNaney, uh, mm-hmm. taking taking some, uh, like going 50-50, taking halves. Maybe they'll throw Morris in there. We'll see. Uh-huh. I'm interested to see where that where that dynamic goes. Who do you think they might lean to in that position? Um, yeah, that's a good question. I and I completely agree. I was really surprised just because of how hyped Morris was that he he didn't really get much PT. Um, and I feel like goalies once you kind of lose, it's such a mental position. And so I would love to see Morris come back, but it does seem like difficult when you kind of aren't the number one guy. It seems hard to think that he's like, you know, gonna become the number one guy. Um, I think Chris Brandau, he's just a more recognizable name in my mind, you know, so that's probably what I'm going to go towards, but I think either one has it. What about you? I mean, they both pretty much, pretty much put up the same numbers. Yeah. I was going to say, I think their stats are pretty much the same. They're pretty much the same. So am I going to really play the John Madden card and say, if you have two quarterbacks, you have none. Is is that really the case with goalies? I don't know. I, I think that that's honestly a good point. I remember the last time that that really worked out, I remember a long time ago, Denver had that. I don't know if you remember. They had like uh, uh, something plant, maybe plant and LaFouse. Yeah, I, some, I, I know what you're talking about. Jamie and LaFouse it, and some, and uh, yeah. And so, but goalie, man, it's, it, I, I agree with that. I think it is really, you usually see those, teams with a with one goalie but one point that i remember listening on the post game podcast actually uh i don't know if you listen to that but uh yeah not, nick Osello not, and uh and Malloy. Yeah, yeah. but i mean the low to high podcast is my my favorite lacrosse podcast but right Thank after you. that is is uh the post game but um evan Malloy even said like the goalie position like if you look at the national championship teams like duke had kyle turry as their goalie one year and like he wasn't anything special they had a uh, I forgot uh, what the other guy's name was. But anyway, so like for Maryland, you know, obviously they want to find their goalie, but I think that as much as a impact that the goalies make, I don't think that that's like the absolute necessity for you to make championship weekend. Definitely, because, you know, I'm kind of contradicting myself with that quarterback, uh, that quarterback phrase, the John Madden one, is that, you know, they're not the quarterback of the offense. It's not like you're, uh, you're subbing in, let's say if you had Michael Sowers and Jared Bernhardt on the same team, and yeah, that would be that. That's some that's something interesting. That if you wanted to find out who the initiator of your offense is, you have to pick a certain person. Yeah. Goalie, goalie, you are the head of the defense, but you know you, it's more relied on how you're. It's more of a mental game than anything else. It's more re, re, you're more relied on how your defenders are playing, how you're how they're communicating, and you have to be the one communicating. So that's one thing I'm going to look out for Maryland and 100%. moving forward. Yeah. Moving on to who the newcomers are for Maryland. Maryland's got a lot of newcomers coming onto this team from freshmen, from freshmen coming in to a lot of transfers. So I'll start it off with the number three freshman in the country, Al- Eric Maliver. Jake, remember watching Eric Maliver's highlight tape uh, when he oh. posted it a couple of years ago? Oh my goodness. Yeah. That's definitely one of those highlight tapes where I've watched that thing probably 25, 30 times. That thing is ridiculous. He's a very creative player. I love how that he can also play attack and midfield. So I'm interested mm-hmm. to see 
I think they're going to run them out of the box because they have a bunch of uh, upperclassmen that are going to play, uh, going to play on the attack line. But going down to some other guys that are coming in from the freshman class, Daniel Kelly, who I think is going to be, who's going to compliment, uh, who's going to learn a lot from Logan Wisnowskis after Logan Wisnowskis graduates because mm-hmm. they play very similar roles. They're finishers. They're great lefty shooters. So I'm interested to see how uh, Coach Tillman kind of uh, brings him into the system. Another good freshman, Jack Corris. He's coming out of Baltimore. He's mm-hmm. another attackman that's just very creative. Gabe Goforth, another midfielder, number 44 freshman in the country. And then moving on to some of their transfers they brought in. They brought in the leading scorer from Colgate, Griffin Brown, who is a Maryland guy. He's, uh, mm-hmm. I think he played with a couple of the guys that are on the team. He's from Landon. So mm-hmm. I think that's going to bring in some really good chemistry. He had 21 goals and five assists for, uh, for Colgate. They bring in Hobart's leading scorer with 28 goals, uh, Eric Holden. He's another great attackman. And then one guy that I really liked that they brought in was B.J. Burleys. He mm-hmm. didn't get any time at Yale. You know, B.J. BJ Burleys was like the number one uh, long stick midfielder. I remember, yeah. And I want to kind of compare him to like a Scotty Ratcliffe 2.0, just the way he uses his stick. What do you think about that? Yeah, absolutely. I remember he was super hyped and I remember watching a little bit of his tape in high school. And so I think Maryland, you know, as a team known for having a lot of good LSMs, a lot of good close defenders, I think under their coaching and instruction, I could see BJ Burles being excellent. So I'm super excited to watch him. Yeah, so am I. And especially I wanted to ask you this, but what do you think Maryland's biggest weakness is right now? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, I think definitely, you know, if we're doing process of elimination, I don't think it's offense. You know, I think especially with Jared Bernhardt returning, they pretty much got all their guys. Um, and so I don't, I, yeah, I really don't even know if they're losing anyone. I don't know if there's a senior, but I think their biggest question mark is going to be their defense. Like you said last year, uh, they're really young. I'm glad that a lot of them are coming back. Um, but I do think Maryland as a team that's kind of been prided on on their defense I think last year kind of showed you know a lot of those close games with teams that maybe they shouldn't have been close by a lot of it had to do with that young defense so I'm curious to see Maryland with so many uh young defensive talent like and you know the goalie situation how is that all going to go down Mm -hmm. I'm interested to see what Jesse Bernhardt has for his defense and I think I think they are going to be very improved on defense and I wonder, I wonder what, because they have a lot of good defenders. So I think what they're going to do is they're going to have Maycar, Ray Hill, and Smith at close defense. Uh-huh. And then they're going to run BJ Burleys. Or let's see. So I think that I'm going to refer, I'm going to Maycar, Matt Ray Hill, Nick, Nick Grill at close defense. Mm-hmm. And they run BJ Burleys and Alex Smith out of, uh, out of the boxes there, long stick midfielders. Because I think one thing that's very under, underscored is, running two long stick midfielders that are both just as good. Wouldn't you agree on that? A hundred percent. I think that's a good strategy. It's like you're a defensive coach. Yeah, no, I think uh, they just have great talent all around and I'm really excited to see how that all pans out. 100%. Oh, and uh, I, for- I completely forgot. Michael Ubriaco is coming back from injury for the Terps because he transferred him from Villanova. So I'm actually, uh, they, they have a lot of good guys coming in on defense. So I'm very excited to see how this new improved defense for Maryland does shape out and jake what do you think is one thing that is very under underappreciated about maryland in their uh in their style of play or like how they play in general yeah that's a good question i think i when I, another big thing uh when i think about maryland is their d mids and i think they have a lot of good d mids my two favorite uh roman puglisi i think he's a beast he always like points to the sky after he scores which is legendary and then my guy, Josh Kaufman, I, I think, you know, we were talking about highlight reels earlier. I think he's got to be up there with one of the best highlight reels ever in high school yeah. lacrosse. And so uh, I think it's cool that he kind of, you know, in high school, he's such a flashy player. And I think it's cool that he's kind of accepted his role as a D-Mitty. So whenever he's in, I'm always rooting for him to take it coast to coast and try to score. So I think Maryland, those D-Mitties uh, are going to give Maryland that kind of uh, anchor point. And so especially with that young defense and goalie, um, I think D minis are one of those things that maybe people overlook, but really they're, uh, they're super important to the team. Kaufman 
Roman Puglisi, and John Geppert, who are their three main team middies, uh-huh. they all combined for 45 ground balls last season. That's 15 ground balls per player for the entire season. That's insane. That's some quick that's, math right there. Yeah, that's that's some quick math. And that's also a very – that's a lot. That's a lot of ground balls. That's a lot balls. of ground balls. You usually see years. that coming out of a uh, long stick midfielder, but that's coming straight from their lockdown – like their cornerbacks, their lockdown defensive uh, defensive midfielders. And now, Jake, we are moving on to our hot take part of this segment. So, Jake, I'll give you the honors. You start your uh, you start your predictions of where you think Maryland's going to end up in 2021. You know, we've done so many takes. I don't even quite remember where if I have Maryland as an extra spot in uh, the Final Four, but we're going to make one for them. I think okay. Maryland's going to the Final Four. I think they're losing to – either Duke, UVA, or whoever else I had in there, uh, or in Syracuse. I think they're losing to one of them. I think Maryland, though, just because I, – like, I think John Donowski is the best lacrosse coach in the world right now. I mean, I, he's the Team USA coach. I think it's uh, pretty fair to say. Or he's the uh, U19 coach. I mean, uh, no, no, no. He actually – no, he is the Team USA coach. I he think, is the Team USA uh, coach. Nick Myers, the uh, – Ohio State head coach. Yeah, um, but, yeah, so, anyway, Donowski is amazing. But I think Tillman's right up there with him. Like you said, even though Maryland only got one national championship, the fact that they went to all those Final Fours, I just think they're one of those teams where it doesn't really matter who's on Maryland. I just think because they're Maryland, because of Tillman, I think they're going to be lethal. And especially with Jared Bernhardt coming back. I mean, Jared Bernhardt was, was Naskis. Bubba Fairman, I'm really looking for him to step up. Kyle Long, DeMeo, all these new guys, too. I just – I, th- I think it's going to be really hard for Maryland not to get into the final four. Yeah, I agree with that. And I'm going to, I'm going to say the same thing. I think they have to go to the final four. I'm just, I'm just curious on where they're going to end up. If they, who they play in the final four, if it's either Duke, Syracuse, or whoever that, whoever that fourth team is ever, if it's like UVA, Denver, Notre Dame, I, I'm interested to see on who they play in Notre that Dame. Game. Wow. Wow. My guy's got some faith in Notre Dame. Who's I on really Notre th- Dame, dude? I think Notre Dame, they have Pat Cavanaugh. They have, they finally have a face-off guy for once. They have a stacked defense. They have, they have what they've haven't had in what in like a while is why they I'm have Pat so high. Cavanaugh and who else? Griffin Westland. He's pretty good. I just think Notre Dame, you know, I know this isn't the Notre Dame talk, but I just feel like it's where good offensive players go to die. That's, okay. that's another hot take, but anyway, we won't, we won't discuss that too much. I'm interested in that. We have to talk about that after, but yeah. I want to talk about who I think Maryland's going to start in their start. Who's going to, who's going to be in Maryland starting offense. So I think we can both agree Wisnowskis and Bernhardt are going to be the two, two attackmen that are going to be X and then left wing. And then uh-huh. I'm, I'm interested to see on who they put on the right spot. It's I think it's going to be Danny Maltz just because he's. One yeah. Yeah. Players. So I think we, I think it's safe to say, I think it's safe to say they're starting, uh, their starting attack line will be Danny Maltz. Logan Wisnowski is Jared Bernard. And then their midfields, what I like about their midfields is that they can run two, two very even midfield lines because only all the guys they're bringing in. And I think their first line is going to be Anthony DeMeo, Bubba Fairman. And I want to say, I want to put one of the transfers on. I want to put Griffin Brown and I'll do Griffin yeah. Brown as their, their first line. And then their second line is going to be Eric Holden, Eric Maliver, I'll put Kyle Long on that as well. How does that – what do you think about that? I like that. I think, you know, and I don't know if you mentioned Daniel Kelly. I think he'll squeak in there. Uh, and then I think Kyle Long too, I think he's kind of slept on. I think he can find himself on the first midfield line too. He's kind of sneaky, kind of shifty. So, yeah, I think, like you said, there's almost – there's so much talent that they could run out of the box. I'm, I'm super pumped now just talking about this to watch Maryland play. And I like about Maryland is that they're a positionless offense. I know it's mm-hmm. always brought about when people talk about how Maryland style of play that if you really wanted to, you can invert, you could make your middies run attack or you have your attack run midfield and just Absolutely. mix and match as much as you want. If you want to really confuse defenses. And that's what I think is going to make Maryland so special. So if they can get into that way of that, they usually play of 
everyone gets to play everywhere. I think that's what's going to make Maryland very, very lethal in 2021. And why I think they might have better chemistry than some other teams that have usually, uh, usually have been, you know, chemistry heavy on how they play and not just uh, personality based. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, man. I, uh, I love Maryland. I love their offense. I love their whole philosophy. I think it's just with all those players coming back, I'm pumped. I'm excited. I'm very. When's their first? I, they haven't released their Big Ten hasn't even released their schedule yet. So I think they must be playing like late February by this point. Yeah, yeah. I'm. Uh, I think we might see them a little bit later. But either way, I don't even. I don't care who they play. I don't care if it's just. Big I just want to see them again. I just want to see Maryland. I just want to see Maryland play. Mm-hmm. I want to see so many teams play, and it's just because we finally got to see Denver play for the first time, and it wasn't the start anyone is expecting. I'll say that. <laughs> I'll just say that 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 wasn't the start anyone was expecting to like the first real college lacrosse game. But hey, that's what makes college lacrosse college lacrosse. It's very unpredictable. It's just like college basketball. You mm-hmm. can't you can't predict any way it's going. But that should conclude part three for the Maryland Terrapins. We will now be moving on to part uh, number part four with the Syracuse Orange. So thank you, Jake. All right, Jake. We're moving on to number two Syracuse. The let's number one go. team in the yeah, let's go. It's awesome. You know, Sy- watching Syracuse last year was a fun time. It was, man. I I think Syracuse. I've you know they're one of the storied programs in lacrosse, and you know it kind of made me sad that they weren't doing as well. And so just it was really cool to see them click last year. And it was really kind of sad that I feel like that was the team that I was the most sad for uh, with COVID and everything because I feel like Syracuse was was pretty special. Yeah, I think so too. And, you know, if you got into lacrosse in the mid 2000s, like from 2014, like for me, like get playing lacrosse, like starting in fifth grade and hear about hearing about Syracuse, it wasn't like what people hear about Syracuse. If you grew up, grew up playing lacrosse, like in the early nineties and two thousands, because, you know, Syracuse is the most storied lacrosse program of all time. And, you know, watch not, not seeing them play, these past not seeing them play well I want to say these past couple of years you know losing losing some games that they probably shouldn't have lost losing some games in the playoffs that you know they should have won as well you never really knew that Syracuse was this powerhouse but you know watching in 2020 and seeing just this team absolutely dominate you kind of see that historic like richness that everyone used to talk about when they were an ultimate dynasty uh, back in the early 2000s and 90s absolutely man uh I love Syracuse and I'm rooting for them for sure I you know I when I say I love Syracuse I I'm not rooting for them as far as you know my fan self but as far as their players go I think they have some really special players and so it's going to be freaking fun to watch them this year I mean they have I think they have the best I think hands down they have the best chemistry out of any team in division one lacrosse I don't think Absolutely. you can match. I don't think you can match how they play. So let's look back at their 2020 season. Five and zero, number one team in the country in the uh, in the end of the end of the year. I think mm-hmm. only other teams that were undefeated were UNC, Princeton, Georgetown. And there's one more. I think that's it. Maybe. Yeah. I, th- I think it's five. Yeah, there's. I forgot who the other one was, but man, that when you just say that, I was just thinking UNC and Princeton. What are you? Oh, year? and Cornell. How do we forget about Cornell? Cornell? Cornell yeah. was yeah, Cornell was the fifth team that Dang. ended. Yeah, they were at number two. So Syracuse ended uh Syracuse ended up number one after the COVID shutdown. You know, they were just absolutely I think they were absolutely dominant, but you have to think, you know, they did have a little bit lighter side of the schedule. I think after co after before COVID got shut down, like they were starting mm-hmm. to head into their bulk of the season. They were about to play, I think they were about to play a couple of Ivy teams that were also undefeated. Mm-hmm. They were going to go play, you know, their ACC heavily loaded ACC schedule. So mm-hmm. I would have loved to see how they ended up. I don't think they would have ended up undefeated because I don't think anyone really can go undefeated in college mm-hmm. across. I think it's a little too hard to do because, you know, I think it's almost like college basketball. It's very unpredictable, mm-hmm. you know, in that you sense. You never know. You never Absolutely. know. And, you know, Syracuse, they, I think, outscored their opponents almost every single game by at least six or seven. I think they had the best offense individual in lacrosse. You know, you can't you can't beat that first midfield line of just lightning, Tucker Dorkovic, Brandon Curry, and Jamie Tremboli. Absolutely insane. Jamie Tremboli, especially just 
you know, popped off last year. It was really cool to see because he was always a hyped recruit and you always saw that potential. But I feel like everything really clicked for everyone last year on Syracuse. It was, uh, I think, hands down best midfield unit. And I don't think really anyone can say anything differently. Yeah, and I think we could say the same thing for this year. No matter how good Duke is, I think they're <laughs> not going to have a better midfield line than Syracuse. So actually, let's it. look. Yeah, oh, yeah. Thank you. Something you actually give me without saying it's a hot take. <laughs> So let's look into who Syracuse returns in 2021. So a couple of big names, Chase Scanlon, Brendan Curry, Jamie Tromboli, Tucker Dorkovic, uh, Tanner Cook, who was the man behind X, uh, Jacob Fopp, the uh, face-off guy, Peter Durth, best. Uh, I th- everyone says it's Ryan Tarafanko is the best short-stick defensive midfielder. Peter Durth is the best short-stick defensive midfielder. I don't think you could beat that. I don't know. What do you think about that? Well, first, you got to put respect on my man Tucker Dordovic's name, Dorkovic. I mean, come on, give me give me some respect for Tucker out here. My uh, apologies, my no, apologies. no. Uh, that I was like, damn, you're kind of a savage, just calling him out right now, Tucker. But uh, no, I think uh, Dirth. I feel like I've heard his name so many times in lacrosse, and you know, a lot, a, a, lot, a few coaches that I've talked to think that he's the best. So I, I can give it to him. I'll give it to you. Uh, he's he's just like a freak in nature. I think. He's one of those very few guys that, you know, can actually play offensive midi if it's called upon him, if he needs mm-hmm. to. I think Absolutely. he's, I think he's just, I think he's better than a lot of offensive midfielders on a bunch of other division one teams. And I think, I think he's just an all around player and that's why he's so special mm-hmm. for Syracuse. And then going back on defense, the, uh, the man between the pipes, the uh, Twitter got himself, Drake mm-hmm. Porter. I think he was just named preseason goal of the year by us lacrosse. So Syracuse has got a lot of guys and, you know, they got a lot of guys returning and it's going to be a force to be reckoned with, but, you know, they are losing some guys, especially recently. Steven Rafis was their lefty attackman who just recently entered the transfer portal. He had 20 points on the season. What do you think this loss of Rafis uh, really means for Syracuse? It definitely means uh, losing one of their senior leaders, you know, and I think he even came back for, he already had come back maybe for a fifth year. Um, yeah, he was yeah. excellent. Rafis was amazing. He kind of had a rocky 2019, and then he kind of came back and did really well in 2020. And so I think Rafis, you know, even though they might be able to replace someone, one of their huge recruits, I think it's more that senior leadership, you know, guys buying into the program. I think the fact that Rafis, he's been in the program for that long and he's transferring, that's kind of a huge blow for Syracuse. It's like, Definitely not good talent-wise and definitely not good for, you know, like the mental aspect of it all. Yeah, I think, you know, just losing a guy like that, even though he is very talented as playing, as being a huge role as a kind of guy that dishes uh, dishes out some nice feeds to their midfielders or over to Scanlon. You know, like you said, just having a leader who's going to be there for six years, you know, six years is a very long time to be playing lacrosse. And then, kind of suddenly leaving before the season's about to start is going to be tough, but you know, there are a lot of guys that will be returning. So I think, I think they are going to find a guy uh, to fill that boy. And we're going to go into that in a short minute, but you know, just losing a guy like that, who's just been there for so long can be just a huge blow just for the team's morale. And, you know, as well, they lost, uh, he's decided not to return for a fifth year was their first team all American defender, Nick Mellon. He was, you know, he was an absolute animal. Just picked up every single ground ball, stripped a bunch of guys. I think, what do you think is more of a loss? Losing your star attackman or losing your star close defender? Who's, yeah. Who do you That's think a tough call. I'm going to go hot takes here. Nick Mellon's going to hate me. But every time I watch Nick Mellon play, I mean, there's obviously a few times, there's many times that he did well, but I always feel like he kind of got sauced by whoever he was playing against. And so I think that oh. Rafis, I think that Rafis is a bigger deal because Rafis was a big, once again, a big assist guy, big glue guy. It's really hard to have a guy who understands everything like that. It's really hard to replace him. I think Nick Mellon was was really good, but once again, I just I don't know. Too many times I was like, all right, he's the number one player on the number one defenseman. Why is he getting like four goals scored on him? I don't understand. Yeah, I think you're right on that. But you know, if you go into I think you can do that for a lot of defenders, you know, maybe it's just, maybe it's just, you watched him in the wrong time. Maybe it was cause he was, maybe it was cause it was Pat Spencer guarding him, you know, true. You know, it's something like that. I mean, he's once again, he's an excellent defender. I just think Rafis was a bigger blow, but 
you know, he was people are probably gonna say Mellon was more. I'm I think I'm a little bit biased towards offense anyway. So hey, this is this is uh free judgment. No judgment, no yeah. judgment. We as many hot takes as we want. Exactly. But you know, going into uh you know, losing that guy on the left wing for Rafis, they bring in the number two uh number two freshman in the country, Owen Hill's a guy from Culver, you know, just a very crafty lefty, uh lefty attackman. He, I think he had like 80 points in high his, uh, his last time he played high school ball. This kid is unbelievable. He's, he's not too, he's not that big, but he is so shifty and just knows how to play with his lacrosse stick. It's like, it's just like a part of his body. He, uh, he never loses the ball. He could shoot it. He can dodge down the alley. I think he could, you know, if he needs a, if he needs to work behind X and throw a couple apples, I think, I think he's a guy that Syracuse is going to be shaping their program around in the near future. Absolutely. He's an absolutely incredible recruit. I'm really excited to see him. I'm really excited to see Chase Scanlon because he scored, you know, he scored that those seven goals against Colgate last year. Everyone was kind of on the hype train because, you know, he had that amazing 2019 season with Loyola. He comes in, he kind of had that. He was one of the biggest transfers, I'd say, in a while. You know, he he was deciding between, I, like, all I, I agree with you. Yeah, goals I'd agree and, with like, that. And he kind of like made it a big deal, supposedly. Like he was, you know, he kind of, he's definitely, I mean, all accounts say that he's a little bit cocky, but he backed it up. He scored seven goals, but then I would love to see his stats, but I think he kind of cooled off a little bit. I think he was still maybe their leading scorer, but he, he cooled off a little bit. And so Scanlon, he got his time off. I'm excited to see what he does. Cause I think he's going to have to, he kind of has the keys to the offense right now. Yeah, I, I'd agree with you on that. You know, he had 60 goals with Loyola, including including having Pat Spencer also having another 60 goals. So <laughs> I think I think him cooling off maybe was because there was a little bit more load that was put on to the midfield units. You know, True. I think you got to give a little bit more love to uh, your three middies and that are the three, probably the three best middies in the country, you know, just to get them working a little bit more, I think. I think uh, Coach Desco probably wanted to take uh, to have the guys, uh, the attackmen, you know, have a take uh, take a ride, shock not shock them, but in the back seat, mm-hmm. you know, maybe keep the load off of them for a while until mm-hmm. they start getting started getting into their getting into their ACC games into their heavier part of the season. So you know, if you know those, uh, if Jamie uh, Curry and uh, Dorkovic, did I say it right, Dorkovic? Dorkovic. Dordovic, Dordovic. Yeah, I'm sorry. Dordovic. Okay. Jeez, Tucker. Sorry, sorry about that. <laughs> I I didn't actually know it was pronounced. So that's actually that's actually just me not knowing that. But I think you know putting, I think that's actually not a bad idea, if if that's what if that was the plan, you know uh-huh. if you know those three guys from the uh, from the top you know just got a little too tired or weren't producing that he could just call on Stephen Rafis, Chase Scanlon, and Griffin Cook just to you know just to cook obviously. <laughs> Just to make them, you know, just to make them just as lethal as the guys uh, from the midfield stripe. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, that's whenever you have a really good midfield, it's going to open up opportunities for attack and vice versa. And I think the cool thing about Syracuse midfield is that they're so, you know, each player brings a different kind of uh, feel to the game. And also, you know, like you think they also have Jacob Buttermore uh, from the midfield. He's really good. So, but anyway, I just love Jamie Trimble is just your very old school throwback midi split dodge down the alley can get it done. Brendan Curry, I feel like is kind of like that, but more shifty, not as, not as physical, but more shifty. And I think he shoots the ball in the run as well as anyone that I know. Mm-hmm. And then you just got Tucker Dordovic who uh, just, uh, just super, even more shifty, just kind of that freak athlete. You, you know, I feel like Tucker Dordovic's the type of guy who, when you're playing a team like UVA a team, like Duke, when Jamie Trimboli gets shut off, you know, who do you guard? Who do you, that's, that, yeah. now that I think about it, who are you putting your LSM on? Who would you put your LSM on? I mean, that would be. It's, that's uh, tough. That's so tough. Cause I think honestly, honestly, I'd rather put my, I'd rather just put my shorty and just try and face guard one of their, one of their, whether it's Rafus or Griffin Cook, I'd rather put my shorty on those two guys, even though they are attackmen and attackmen can be overlooked sometimes, especially when you got, so much firepower coming from the midfield line that I'd rather take my chances with guys that aren't as quick. 
because I'd love to hear the 40 times on those three guys. Yeah. I really want to know what they are. They have to be, they have to be like four, four or something. They have to be something yeah. crazy. Those guys are so fast. And you know, besides being like shifty and quick, they're just so fast and it's just so hard to guard. Another guy I forgot to talk about, you know, Texas native like yourself, Jake, Owen Siebold. Owen Siebold. Yes, sir. He is a guy that always came in as their fourth attackman, you know, mm-hmm. a little bit later in the games that, you know, did provide a very valuable role on their, uh, on their offense, you know, scored a couple of goals, had a, had a solid 2020 season, even though they had so much going on in the offensive mm-hmm. side. I think he's another guy that could also step up and fill a huge role, fill a big role. Maybe, maybe if it's even like the second midfield line, you know, just. Yeah, you know, absolutely. Yeah. Hopefully I, because he's, I guess at this point, he's a senior. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, that would be, I think he could be yeah either that third attackman or second midfield. I think what I would be curious is at this point, you know, he came in so hyped and he's, you know, he's had an okay Syracuse career, but nothing, you know, he hasn't really gotten any significant minutes. And so it would be really hard. Usually like you rarely see a breakout senior, you know, because yeah. at that point they're kind of checked out. And so it would be really cool to see someone like Owen Siebold who hasn't really gotten that many minutes, but maybe he's been so committed that he's willing to uh, put in that work. And now this, you know, 2021, he could be, I mean, Syracuse, it's a good time to peak. It's a good time to be a really good player on Syracuse because you got that midfield line. Um, so that'd be really cool to see Siebold do some cool stuff. You know, a guy like that that did something very similar was on Maryland, uh, Louis Dubik, who, you know, exactly rode behind, you know, was riding second line midi, you know, from freshman to junior year and then just broke out of senior year. So you really don't know. It's really unpredictable what can happen. You know, there's a bunch of guys I probably can't name off the top of my head, but that's not that's not so far fetched, mm-hmm. not so far fetched in, uh, in what you're saying. And, you know, another thing about Syracuse that I really like that is kind of under underrated would be their face-off, their face-off guys and Danny Varello and Jacob Fopp. Mm-hmm. I think they went, you know, cumulative about 60% from the X. It's very, very good. You know, that's what won them a lot of their games, you know, just took them in complete blowouts that they just had two guys that could rely on all the time and they knew they were just going to win, get uh, get another possession off. And so it's going to be interesting to see how they – how they go out in this 2020 season, a uh, 2021 season, sorry, and see if they could put up their dominance in 2021. Yeah, man, I'm super excited for Syracuse. I just think uh, I could see them as one of those teams that's going the distance. I think if it's a year, if, if it's any year to be a Syracuse fan, 2021 is it. So this brings me to my question. Where do you see Syracuse ending up? Okay, so I said UVA was in the Final Four. I think I've said other teams are in the Final Four already. I mean, no, we've got, we've got Maryland is we we both we both agreed Maryland Final Four. We said Penn State's Elite Eight. Okay, said, yeah. So we only got okay, two. Yeah. We got two more teams. Yeah, we got two more teams. Yeah, yeah. So Duke obviously is in the Final Four, but uh, yeah, let's put Syracuse. This is gonna be an ACC heavy year. Let's put mm-hmm. let's put uh let's put Syracuse in the Final Four. Okay. Okay, we'll put Sarah. I'm gonna. I'm honestly gonna put Syracuse in the Final Four. I think they're gonna. I think they're gonna uh, blaze past whoever's in the in this round of 16 and Elite Eight. I don't think anyone can really keep up with them. It's going to be. I think it's going to be a crazy, uh, crazy Final Four. I hope oh. that they allow. I really hope they allow fans. I'm I gone. I want to go see that. I think I think it's in Gillette or Philly. It's probably one of those. Either one. And you know. I think it's going to be, I think it's going to be whoever they play. I think they're going to play probably depending on how the seating works out. I say Syracuse is probably going to be like the two seed. They're going to take a, here's my take. Here's my take. Okay. They're going to lose. I'll they're take. going to lose in the ACC. Fair. Losing the ACC finals against Duke in an overtime loss. That's what, that's what I'm going to say. Okay. And I think depending on who they play, they are going to play in the national championship. Okay. And I'm gonna call it right now. I'm gonna say they're winning it all. I'm saying they're gonna wow. win. It. Okay, Syracuse. I think is they're gonna, win gonna it all. be. I think it's gonna be a Syracuse Duke national championship. I'm taking oh. Syracuse in an overtime fashion. If the season doesn't happen, I'm gonna cry. Just hearing you say Syracuse Duke national championship, what I would do to watch that right now, that yeah. would be incredible. So we'll see. Yeah, I think I think they're gonna be a Final Four team for sure. But overall, it's gonna be. Even if you're a, if you're not a Syracuse fan, 
you're going to turn on the TV this year when Syracuse is on. They're that good. All right. What about their, what do you think about their jerseys? A lot of people don't, a lot, there's a lot of hate going around Syracuse jerseys with those uh, sleeveless. Yeah. Yeah. I think they're fine. I don't, I don't, I don't really have an opinion on them. I think they're okay. I don't, I don't like them as much as other uniforms, but they're, you know, they're okay. What about, what about their, uh, I like their uh, retro jerseys. The, the mesh Dude, those ones. are sick. The mesh ones are so, so sick. Nice. Those are, those <laughs> yeah. are, yeah. I think they have the nicest helmets. I think they got, uh, those, uh, those matte, those matte dark, those matte, matte navy blue are just like you can't. Yeah. Be, and like the nice orange ass. Oh, it's getting me so excited thinking about that. But all right, Jake, uh, we got to work on. We got to talk about Duke next. Are you ready? Let's go. All right, Jake, your favorite team growing up, favorites to win the national championship, the Duke Blue Devils. It's just unfair this year for the Duke Blue Devils, my friend. They're just okay. it's gonna be the easiest national championship. All right. That's your take. That's the hottest. It's we barely started this episode and you're already throwing hot takes at me right now. This is this is going to be a team that I don't think anyone has ever seen before with all these guys going back. So, you know, let's take a take a look back at Duke these uh past couple of years. You know, championship in 2013, 2014. You know they were always in. There was they were always in the Elite Eight, competing in the Final Four. Very close to winning it in 2018. They lost to a very gritty Yale team. That was a mm-hmm. that was a tough game. That was a tough game for Duke, uh, for Duke. I thought they were going to win it all. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was uh, that was back Ben Reeves, I guess. That yeah. was crazy. Yeah, Duke. I, yeah, I, I feel yeah. like uh, you know they were. We kind of talked about how Syracuse kind of went away during the kind of the 2000 2010 2020 and i feel like duke was the were the ones who dominated really that era um and now they've been good obviously they made it to the final four in 2019 but i feel like we haven't seen a duke team in a while that's just dominant and so i'm really excited for this year you know like when they had jordan wolf they were dominant you know miles jones and miles jones yeah exactly they just had the i feel like the 2018 29th season 19 season they were good but it was just because of how disciplined it just shows you how good of a coach john donaski is they didn't really have one guy they just kind of they did really well i mean i guess they had justin gutterding but you know what i'm saying they just didn't it wasn't the dominant duke team where they just have one guy who's you know the best guy in the country basically so this is going to be an exciting year for them for sure yeah and i i 100 agree with that statement that you know I guess you could say that guy was probably Joe Roberts in 2019, 2020. I mean, Duke was just a complete juggernaut in on defense on the defensive side with uh, with Cade Van Raphorst and JT Giles Harris. That you know, that's that's probably what their uh, what drove them so powerful in 2019 is that's mm-hmm. and that's probably why they got they got got they got that far. Mm-hmm. Exactly. I think it was really their defense, and so this is exciting because I don't think that there's going to be I'm not trying to throw out too many hot takes, but I mean, you get, I think you got to think Duke's offense is going to be one of the best in the country for sure. Obviously I think they're going to be top three offense. I just want to see how it pans out in their chemistry, but we'll get, we'll get that out in a little bit, but (laughs) let's talk about their 2020 season. You know, they started off pretty rough. They, uh, day before their first game, they, they found out Joe Robertson tore their ACL who's their team's leading scorer last year. So they were already going into a, going into a season, with uh without their best player they they lost their first game i don't even know how they lost that first game versus air force they were winning like six nothing in the by like they were up by six majority of the game and they just mm-hmm. complete collapse from the defense it was just a tough game it was a tough game for duke and you know uh watching them play without you know like we were saying especially without joe robertson just one dominant guy was pretty interesting because it was never really Duke was like that. And, you know, Mm -hmm. I think everyone was kind of waiting for next year as Duke to be like pre COVID. I think everyone was waiting for just Brandon O'Neill to come in and just dominate, especially Joe Robinson coming in for a senior year, just seeing that happen. But, you know, Duke with all this stuff going on, they finished, I think number eight, number nine, in the country finished six and two. Uh, Their leading score was a freshman Dyson Williams, 25 goals. That kid, was pretty electric as well, even though he was a little bit of a, he wasn't a big Dodger. He was a kind of guy that just stood on the crease. Nonetheless, he still had 25 goals and, you know, nine. So actually let's go back to what, uh, 
Jake, I'll ask you, what do you think, what do you think we could, th- uh, what do you think we saw in Duke in 2020? Yeah, I think Dyson really burst onto the scene. He was a, I remember watching him in high school and I think he's one of the best finishers uh, out there right now. He's a really good presence on the left. And yeah, Joe Robinson tours ACL, you know, Joe's a senior. He has a lot of experience, but Dyson is really good. Brennan O'Neill is really good. Michael Sowers is the best player in the country. I don't know. Yeah. Does, where does Joe Robertson fit in? Does he, does, does Brennan O'Neill have to earn a spot, but does Joe have to earn a, earn a spot? I'm, so I'm is, very yeah. curious to see. I don't want to, I don't want to rush into that right now because I want to get to, I, I want to okay. have this discussion with you. Like after okay. we get through all these guys that are returning, right. we're going to well, have yeah. this, we're going to have this discussion. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to, I'm not denying you that, but I first want to say Fair. who's returning for Duke. So I want to first okay. start off and say nine of their 10, uh, 10 top 10 scores are returning. Only one that is not returning is CJ Carpenter. He's going to go play for a Rutgers team who also brings in a first team, all American Rutgers sleeper this year. I'm going to say, it. I think they're going to, I think they're going to, ha- they're going to be pretty good in the big 10 with uh, Connor Kirst and CJ Carpenter. I think they're going to tear it up a little bit. What do you think about that? Yeah, I think Rutgers, they've, you know, they kind of got that disrespect whenever they didn't make the playoffs and now they bring in two really good guys. I think Rutgers is going to be awesome, and I'm rooting for C.J. Carpenter. I think he was – he's one of those classic Duke guys who, you know, didn't really – you didn't know his name, and then all of a sudden he's, like, scoring three or four goals in every uh, every tournament game. So I'm excited to see what, what he's up to. Yeah, I agree with that. I think he was a very solid player for Duke and, you know, didn't get as much credit as he deserves, but I think he's going to really tear it up at, uh, tear it up at Rutgers. But nonetheless, mm-hmm. let's get back to all these returners. Like I said, the leading scorer, freshman, now going to be a sophomore, Dyson Williams, like you said, probably the best finisher in the country. Senior Joe Robertson led the team in goals in 2019. The Caputo brothers, Owen and Jake, very good players. They were running both uh, first and second midfield lines, uh, mm-hmm. I think, separately for Duke. The shaky, uh, the shakiest guy in, uh, I don't know, it's not shakiest, but the shiftiest guy in probably all of Kyle's across, Nakai Montgomery, another Texas guy. Shout out, Jake. I think, I think, um, I think he's going to be a guy that actually is going to really pop off. I think he didn't really have a great 2020. I think he really stood out as when Nakai really bursted on the scene was in 2018, that playoffs, that playoff running like 15 goals in four games, absolutely shredded the Maryland defense. Very sad to watch that game, but you know, 2019 also very good season 2020. I think, I think he was a little bit shaky in the midfield line. I think he was still trying to find like, if he like what kind of player he was, if he could be the guy that just takes over a game or is he going to be a role player? So it's going to be interesting to see how he goes. I think he's going to be very good. Another senior that returned is going to be a fifth year Riley Walsh guy that played a uh, guy that started on attack. Another, another attackman, Joey Manown, Joe, JT Basile, Cotter Drake, who was one of the best freshmen in Dyson Williams' recruiting class. Cam Moulet, JP Basile, J- oh, I said JP, JT Giles Harris on the defensive end. Probably the best LSM in the country. What do you think about that, Jake? Yeah, I mean, I think he's best defender, best LSM, whatever you want to call him. I think he's the best long stick, hands down. Hands down. I think so, too. Cambro Door, uh, Kenny Brower, another guy part of that def- tough uh, defensive core group. Uh, another guy, Brian Smith, uh, has been Duke forever. He first started thinking, yeah, <laughs> I feel like he's been at Duke for so long. I know. I, I, cause I, I think I, cause I get him mixed up with Brad Smith. So I just think he's been at Duke for like eight years. Yeah. But you know, Brian was a, uh, face-off guy. He was a very good face-off guy for Duke, but he, uh, switched over to just playing D midi and just running a little bit of both ways. Great player that Duke has just to have a solid guy that could, uh, uh, you know, stop some guys that, from uh, from the other opposing team's offensive midfield line, uh, they're starting face-off guys. Face-off guys. I think they split a little bit of time. I think uh, Jordan Ginder and Joey Stein. I think Ginder took more of the draws, and Stein was kind of you know I think it was 60-40. Mm-hmm. Both went about around fifty-five percent on the season, and then they also returned another fifth-year senior Turner Upren in goal. So Jake, I'm going to give you the honors of saying, listing the, uh, the, uh, the, uh, the newcomers for the Duke Blue Devils. Okay. Well, I'll take a few of them. You take the other ones, but the two that we just have to mention, Michael Sowers, number one. I mean, he's the best player in college lacrosse. One of the most, one of the best players that we've seen in a long time, shifty as can be, you know, 
showed us in 2020 that he wasn't he basically single-handedly was the reason why Princeton you know he, he basically carried the Princeton team on his back and he broke every Princeton record and they didn't even complete their season I think he complete I think he broke their Princeton record before um yeah he did so he did before 2020 like he in three seasons and Princeton is a huge you know very storied program so we got Michael Sowers coming in which is honestly it's almost unfair it's like why Duke could already win a national championship without him and now you're bringing the number one recruit it almost I don't know baffles me it's like I feel bad and then the other guy shout out to my guy Brendan O'Neill um just a very special player in high school and he's just one of those guys I think I referenced this on another podcast but usually I'm always kind of worried about number one recruits because it's a really you know they're really hyped they're really it's kind of they have a lot of pressure on them but Brendan O'Neill the guy committed in eighth grade he was already the most he already had all the pressure on him and yet he just continued to be better and better and better and he just does things on the field that no one else can do so I'm I'm very excited for those two but tell me about the other players who are returning all right, so another guy from Princeton, and he's also got a brother on the team. Phil Robertson is uh, is coming to the Duke Blue Devils, coming out of Princeton. You know, he wasn't allowed to stay because of his fifth year, same same position as Sauer. So I'm very excited to see him play with his uh, his uh, his younger brother. I think that's going to be an awesome chemistry just to have. You just, like you know, playing with your brother it just seems like an awesome experience. And he's just a guy that you know could always catch on the crease. He's like Dyson Williams, but you know, seven inches shorter, but you know, <laughs> nonetheless, he's a, a crazy, crazy finisher, very quick, very excited to see what he can do. Uh, another guys that are coming in, who's actually just named uh, first team, all American uh, preseason, first team, all American by a uh, college cross. There was a lot of controversy with that list, but I'll go with it was a uh, goalie, Mike Adler out of St. Joe's his, uh, his brother's actually a faceoff guy. Who's going to hopefully be playing in the PLO Max Adler. He had very good years in the MLL. So they bring in a goalie, a great goalie, even after, you know, having a solid guy in Turner upgrade. So it's going to be really interesting to see how that pans out. Mm. Uh, other notable guys, uh, Aiden Denenza, another top uh, midfield recruit that played with uh, Brendan O'Neill and the number one faceoff guy in the uh, freshman class that also played with Brendan O'Neill at San Anthony's is uh, Jake Nazo. So that's pretty cool that they got three kids from the same mm-hmm. high school, all going to play college, uh, college lacks together. That's going to be a force to be reckoned with in the coming years. Absolutely. It's just, as we list all these people, I just feel bad for every opponent that's coming Duke's way. Cause it's just, it really just shows you the depth. I mean, defense, offense, goalie, face off. Where is Duke mm-hmm. not good? I want to get it. I see this is, this is my weakness for Duke is, I think they're still lacking a little bit on defense. So, you know, I got to figure, I don't even know who's going to be started. I think I have to start splitting time with the, uh, with the, uh, what's it called with the goalies uh-huh. in the, uh, you know, 50, 50 to start the season, just to see how that goes. You know, what was really cool about Duke was what they were doing for the fall. It was the uh, Duke outdoor lacrosse league. Did you hear about this? Do you know about this? No, no, tell me. Okay. So this is actually a really cool concept. So coach Janowski gave the captains two captains, uh, their owners of teams so team blue and team white uh-huh. and then they just drafted a team out of it so they have 54 guys on the roster which is like 15 more than usual so yeah they uh they drafted up their teams and then they named like a, a gm they named a coach they named the offensive coordinator they named defensive coordinator and they just played games they played two games against each other like twice a week that's amazing that's yeah so- it's it's an awesome oh. concept that's so incredible yeah i mean john Donaski, i think He's one of the – he's probably the best coach in all of lacrosse, I would say, right now. I mean, he coached Team USA, so I think he, it's pretty safe. It's not a very controversial thing to say that yeah, John Donaski no. is probably the best coach in the country. Yeah, that's not probably even – I'm world. not going to even – yeah, I'm not going to even say that's partially hot take. I think that's that's pretty straightforward as it gets, and I'll probably agree. I'll say him and Tillman are the two best coaches in college lacrosse right now. That's fair, yeah. Tillman, definitely just that consistency. I think it's hard to say that he also hasn't been. Um, but – yeah, Duke, I don't even – it's, you know, you can I, – I agree. Defense, I think they're defensive middies. I think that's an underrated part, and they have so many good defensive middies. Like you, Terry Lindsay, that guy I remember, he was like a number or number five recruit or something, offensive middy, and he's just a defensive middy for them. He just – they have that kind of luxury. Like Duke just has those guys at this point where it's just like their 
backups or their like role players are stars. And so that you did bring up a really good point though, is the chemistry aspect. Even if you do have all these stars, you know, we see in the NFL, it took a while before the Buccaneers click, they had all these stars, you know, how long is it going to take Duke to click? Because when you have so many stars, stars don't get very happy when they're not the stars. And so, uh, you know, like Brennan O'Neill, is that guy, if he's not, I mean, he was basically worshipped in high school. If he's not immediately starting and getting the playing time, being the alpha, how he's is he going to respond? He might trade, like, he, if he doesn't get out of time, there's always that option of him just transferring because you never really know. But here's my, here's my counter argument to saying that Duke is going to be a powerhouse. Give me your top six guys on the offensive side. All right. Michael Sowers, I mean, that's okay. obvious. Uh, Brennan O'Neill. So we're going to go attack Brennan O'Neill. And then I like, I kind of feel bad for Joe Robertson because honestly, Phil Robertson's pretty saucy. So I could see him, but I'm going to go, I'm going to go Dyson, Sowers, and Brennan O'Neill. Sorry to my guy, Joe. Okay. Fair enough. But then you have to realize you're going to give it to a freshman instead of giving it to Joe Robertson, who's a team captain and their former leading scorer. You're not going to give it to Riley Walsh. Who's another leading scorer in the 2020 season? You're gonna automatically give it to uh, you're auto, you're gonna automatically give it to Brendan O'Neill. He might be the best player, but you know there's always that aspect you know that Maryland does with the goalies that even though the goalie freshman goalie might be better, you have to give it to the senior goalie, which is usually what the case is. So you're gonna really you're really gonna mm-hmm. you're gonna count because Riley yeah. Walsh, JP Basile, Joey Manown, those are all starting attackmen from last year. You're just gonna kick them out and then go to the midfield line for me. Who do you think you're start, Who do you think their starting midfield line is gonna be? Uh, Nakai, uh, one of the Caputos, and then pick your poison, whoever you like. Uh, Connor Drake, I'd, I'd say and, he could. And and Phil I mean, Robertson and Phil Robertson just transferred to play there, and he's not going to even start. You're not going to give it to Joey Man. You're not going to give it to Joey Manana. Joey Manana out of the midfield. You're going to give it to Joey Manana out of the midfield. What? You're not giving him a starting attack spot after being there for three years. I mean, he he underperformed every year. I think okay. I if you, you if that. LeBron James is on your team, are you like even though he's new, are you gonna are you gonna not give the ball to LeBron James? I mean, I'm definitely I'm biased. I'm betting my reputation on uh, Bruno O'Neill. I just think he's one of he like, and you can see John Donowski. He's very conservative usually, but you've seen with his stars like Jordan Wolf, Justin Gutterding. Both of those guys start – or I know Jordan Wolf at least got a ton of minutes freshman year. I remember Justin Gutterding. I think he scored six goals his first game ever against High Point or something like that. Mm-hmm. So he's not afraid to, to give the stars, you know, playing time, give them early. I don't think Brennan O'Neill. maybe I'm, I'm – you know, I'm really hyped about him. Maybe he's not – As you be- should be because he's probably the best recruit of this generation. I'm not denying that. I'm not denying that he's the best player in the in no, I know you're saying – they do. They have a lot of experience. Maybe he won't be the starting initially, but I don't know. It's just I like I. It's not like a really some crazy good analysis by me, but I just I think Brendan O'Neill is one of those types of people. He's a once in a generation talent where you got to put him in. He's just like, I'm sorry, he's LeBron James. Like you got to give the LeBron James to Zion Williamson. If Zion Williamson goes to Duke, he's gonna play. You know. Yeah, but That's if just, Zion, but if, uh, but if. Uh... Cam Reddish, uh, Jabril, uh, Jaleel Okafor, and whoever, who else, Jaleel Okafor, uh, Quinn Cook, and what's his name that's on the uh, that's on the Heat all decide to stay, and the number one recruit comes in, and those guys all stayed when they were seen when they from freshman to senior year. Are you gonna get? Are you gonna take away Jaleel Okafor's top spot, even though the number one freshman, number one freshman's coming in, and even though Jaleel Okafor is probably a first team All American? I mean, that's a good point. I think you find a that's way to get that's honestly both. what's happening right now is because you're going to take away joe robertson okay, yeah but, he was hurt okay joe robertson though is not the same as joe, joe robertson was good he was the leading scorer on kind of a weak duke team let's be honest he had he it's not like joe, no one who who have you heard talk about joe robertson as one of the best attackmen like he he happened to be a, the best attackman on a on a like a relatively weak Duke squad. So I don't think he's bad, but I'm just saying like, it's, I don't think Joe Robertson doesn't, he doesn't command the respect that like another, I mean, but the fact that he said he's team captain, you know, I'm probably wrong. I mean, if he's a team, if he's voted team captain, then he'll probably, 
who knows? But I just I just think Brennan O'Neill, even if you don't start him, you got to give him significant minutes because he's just that good. Or else he he should transfer. I mean, he deserves to be – I think he deserves to play a ton his freshman year. I think so too, and I'm not going to disagree with you that. But I think what you're going to see is Dyson Williams and Brendan O'Neill uh, swap minutes if they want to keep Brendan O'Neill. Because I don't think Brendan O'Neill can only play attack. I am for sure think he can play on the midfield. True, I didn't even think about that. Yeah, I think he could be – I mean, imagine that guy running out of the midfield. That would be That's scary. scary. That's very scary. And he's athletic enough too. You know, like a lot of the attackmen – like Brendan O'Neill also, like low-key, I mean, the guy, you can just tell – He's jacked. Like, I don't know. I mean, he's not – hopefully he's not taking any substances. I'm sure he's not. But uh, just because, I mean, the guy, he does not look – I mean, I, I remember just, like, showing someone who – my friend who isn't a lacrosse fan, like, a picture of Bruno O'Neill, and I was like, dude, this guy looks like a football player. Like, he, he doesn't yeah. – like, he looks – he's a freak athlete. So, they're going to figure out a way to put Bruno O'Neill in. I guess you're right. I could – I could probably I can calm down a little bit. I could see Joe Robertson being that spot, but then they're gonna have to give Brendan O'Neill minutes somehow. And okay, I'm gonna say my top six. Yeah. Uh, showers. Uh, showers. What's his name? Dyson Williams. Joe Robertson. At attack, I want to say Riley Walsh, Brendan O'Neill, Nikai Montgomery from the first midfield line. That's pretty I'm say fun. Caputo Bros. A Caputo, I think I'm going to give one of the Caputo brothers. I'm going to, Owen's the better. I'm pretty sure Owen's the better one. Owen Caputo, the uh, Owen Caputo, uh, JP Basile, and um, what's his name? I just had it written down. Cambro Durr. Uh, He's very good. The second midfield, the second midfield spot. And then you also have a Connor Drake, other uh, Jay Caputo, and Joey Manon third midfield line, or Aiden Denenza, whichever one. So you have three very deep midfield lines yeah I've, and i mean you could swap those guys on attack basically long story short duke is going to be really good okay so where do you where do you have them landing come on okay so you come have on. them winning the national championship come on they're winning the national championship i think is i mean i the only way that they're not going to win is just the pressure because i mean they have Take away Michael Sowers, it's still basically they're going to win the national championship. Then you put yeah. the the best player you're in college right. across. So I, I'm just I don't know. Like I, like unless you're right, maybe the defense if something doesn't work out because it's just it's Duke's it's Duke's to lose honestly. Like this is their if you're Duke, like you it's basically a disappointment if you don't win the national championship. So you think if they don't win the national championship, it's winner winner win it all or bust. I mean, I think if they if they don't make it to the national championship, you know. On a national championship game, you never really know what's going to happen. Injuries, blah, blah, blah. That's fair. Yeah. So maybe, but if they don't make it, or at least if they don't make it a championship weekend, it's a thousand percent a failed season. So I think they're going to make a championship weekend. It's going to be final four. It's our last episode. I'm going to lock it in. I'm going to say Maryland. I'm going to say Maryland. Uh, I'm going to give Yale the other spot. Maryland, Yale, Syracuse, Duke. Okay. And it's going to be a Duke going to be a duke syracuse national championship it's gonna be a crazy game very it's gonna be an insane national championship and let's say syracuse is gonna win by a goal that's fair i think i'm the exact same as you except uva instead of yale and then i think uh duke wins it by a goal just because just because i have to but i it's if i mean a duke syracuse national championship just think about that right now that would be insane i'm so excited for college lacrosse i mean Okay, I'm going to give you one last thing before we wrap it up. You know, besides all the top five teams we did, who do you think is the biggest sleeper that's not in the top five? It's a good – that's a really good question. Let me think about it for a second. I think you honestly – I I was going to say this no matter if you said it or not, but I just think Rutgers, this is the year where Rutgers isn't really hyped. They bring in CJ Carpenter. They bring in Connor Kearse, who just dominated last season. I think you could see them making a run. I think – I don't think I don't see them like in the final four, but definitely like I think this is the year that Rutgers kind of breaks through for sure. What about Yale? I mean, not not Yale, Denver. Denver's got a loaded team right now. That's true. And I love Denver. And so it'd be really nice to have them back, especially UNC. You got also UNC as well. But go, go. Is that a sleeper team though? I feel like they're not in the top five. And I think they should be. I think, I think they should. Yeah, why is it you? Yeah. 
Dude, they're just thinking about this. There's too much. There's too many good teams this year. I guess because of twenty, you know, because of twenty twenty, how everyone's coming back. I mean, you UNC could win it all. Not like we didn't even talk about them. They have Chris Gray, have Chris UNC Gray and Tanner all. Cook, Chris and Gray Denver, Gray. Jackson Morrill, and they have Ethan Walker and Jack Lucas Hanna, Collier, Lucas Collier. Jack Hanna. I mean, who's gonna win this year? I have no idea. It's gonna be. I think. Let's I mean, be real. We're probably win, yeah. I think let's be real. I think we're gonna have a completely off. I think our our takes are gonna be a little bit a little bit off once the season, hopefully the season goes as planned. That uh, you know Ivy League gets a season and stuff like that. So I hope that I'm wrong. I, it'll be fun. It's just it's fun. I'd, and I love to. I don't know how your followers can do this, but I'd love to hear everyone's hot takes. It's fun. We need more hot takes. And we should up. do a segment. We should do a segment. I think you could do it. There's this thing on my on the app distribution that you can send voice messages. And I'll do, I'm going to promote that. So all right. if you guys are listening, I'm going to, if you guys are listening this long, I'm going to promote this mm-hmm. thing. I'm going to put it on my Instagram, Twitter. You could leave messages, send us your hot takes. Me and Jake will react to them. But I think that's a good way to wrap up this, uh, this five part series we did. I think, uh, I think me and Jake had a really good time doing this. Thank you so much, Jake, for coming on doing this with me. I had a really fun time, you know, speculating, running all these hot takes with you. <laughs> really appreciate your time, man. Of course, Paul. Great job on the podcast. Happy to be here. I'm excited for the season. Hopefully we could do some uh, mid-year recaps. And then when uh, when it's all said and done, I think me and Jake are going to definitely have to do a <laughs> a end-of-the-year recap and see how how awesome we probably are. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I can't wait. That's going to be fun. That's going to be fun. All right, Jake. Thank you so much, man. All right. Take it easy.